Hey everybody, it's the Skewer Podcast. I'm glad you're here. The Skewer is a live monthly news review that satirizes the news of the previous month. It's great. We do op-ed, we do debate, we do live voicemails to our political representatives. It's a great time. Uh, the audio on this episode is not great. We used a new microphone for the first time, and there are some growing pains. It's, uh, I would say, in some ways better than the old audio, but worse in different ways. It's listenable if you really want to hear it, so I decided to release it anyway. Uh, sorry, though, I might as well warn you. Uh, this particular show was recorded on February 1st, 2017 in Chicago's Cafe Mustache. Enjoy! Upon seeing me, your first instinct is correctly to fall silent, but no, it's the skewer, so yeah! <laughs> Delightful! Thank you all for being here tonight. My name is Tom Harrison, I'm your host, and you're at the skewer, which is a great show, a monthly news review that uh, satirizes the news of the previous month, in this case, January 2017, through uh, op-eds, debates, and live voicemails to our representatives where we talk to them and yell at them about how they're terrible and should be better. Yeah! yeah. It's great stuff. But before we have a good time having fun, I have to uh, deliver an overview of the month, and it's going to be dour. <laughs> So, this was the worst month yet. I don't mean it was the worst month yet for this show. I mean it was just the worst one so far. <laughs> and oh, it'll only get worse. Wait till there isn't a decent-ish economy and no terrorist attacks and historically low crime. So yeah. I got to do an opening monologue to kick off my comedy show in a fun and funny way while simultaneously addressing the heinous opening days of President Steve Bannon's administration. And I just got to say, I wrote this on Saturday before the hashtag got popular, so I'm not saying I'm a genius, but I am implying it. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if I'm going to have a ton of funny jokes this time. But maybe, you know, just for the sake of, like, helping me and also helping yourselves, think of this intro monologue as, like, a Bill Hicks or George Carlin routine where I never actually tell any jokes or say anything funny, but uh, just go, like, hey, man, ever notice that the man is corrupt and you all call me a genius anyway? <laughs> yeah, I just shit on Bill Hicks and George Carlin in Logan Square. Yeah, I'm brave. I'll hold for your applause. <laughs> Bill Hicks isn't funny. <laughs> oh, but just a litany of shit happened this month. I'll just go through a bit, because to go through it all would take literally all night. Uh, this month, President Bannon reinstituted the global gag order devastating women's health around the world, a move sure to make abortion rates skyrocket and abortion fatalities go even higher. 
He moved forward on building the wall, a physically unbuildable nightmare that will only eat money, enrage Mexico, and stoke racism. He quashed government scientists' constitutional right to speak. And, of course, the fucking Muslim ban, the truly most disgusting, evil thing America has done since slavery and Jim Crow, and murdering black civil rights leaders, and Iran-Contra, and torture at Abu Ghraib. Okay, we've done a lot of bad things, but this is still on another level. And if you looked for the most efficient way to just to really supercharge ISIS, just get them to really hulk out, you could not do better than this. So you probably realized that none of this actually helps America in any way, and in fact makes it way worse. So why did it get done? That's a great question. I have the answer. It's because it all serves the real soul, the real ideological core of the GOP. It's not small government. It's not national security. It's not states' rights. No. It's hurting the enemy. It's all born of President Bannon's pathological need to punish. The GOP is fundamentally a party of pain. I mean, look, Bannon, a known Nazi, a calcified slab of cirrhosis cursed with sentience by a cruel wizard, <laughs> a pockmarked airplane vomit bag made from a rejected batch of homemade turkey jerky. You know the first one where you really just fuck it up? And you're like, well, I know what to not do. <laughs> A shambling golem made of stacked up lunch meat glued together with David Duke's rotting cum. <laughs> A banned subreddit made flesh. <laughs> that President Bannon announced the U.S. would take in Christian refugees only on Holocaust Remembrance Day. Just imagine how hard that made him. Probably the closest he's ever been to full erection in his life. <laughs> and you know it's bad enough to have a cadre of kleptomaniac racist monsters ruin your country and pervert the very ideals it was founded on. I mean, it is bad. But what really steams me is that they don't even have the courtesy to have tricked me. Or anyone, really. I mean, like, I'd be fine at this point with getting tricked by an evil president. Like, there's this one Superman story, and yes, I'm about to talk about superhero comics, and I just want to take a moment before I do that to make it clear that I am not endorsing superhero comics. They are very bad, unreadable. Do not read them. Um, <laughs> but anyway, there's this one where Lex Luthor, a notable villain, uh, he, like, does some plan and he gets himself elected president. And then he does some evil villain stuff, and everyone's like, whoa, no, evil. Oh, not that. We, we got tricked. Dang. Meanwhile, in real life, we had a clown car of bumbling boobs loudly advertising their plans to totally blow and be terrible, and everyone was like, yes, American, America first. More of that. Every single thing that President Bannon did this month was something that his mascot Trump said that he would do on the campaign trail, and none of it mattered. And not only that, they're just hilariously incompetent on a logistical level, with a press secretary that wears daddy's big boy suits, looking like some kind of stop-making-sense-ass David Byrne over here. We got... No functioning executive branch or state department. We got the fucking proposed, and I hope rejected, uh, education secretary not knowing where the bookie is in shump or some shit, and ruining my new indie band, The Potential Grizzlies, 
just smothered in its crib before it had a chance to live, and making every nation on earth either very embarrassed at or openly hostile to us. I wouldn't even be surprised if President Bannon wanted to do even more evil shit this month, but Trump accidentally like dropped the executive order in the toilet, and then before he could fish it out, Sean Spicer came by and shat a bowling ball of bile-soaked chewing gum onto it. And sure, it's fun to laugh now. I'm having fun. I'm laughing. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, I lost my place. But, oh, yeah, but it won't be long until dissent is illegal, and you can't afford food. And while it will be admittedly a pretty funny image to push a wheelbarrow full of cash to the market to buy a crust of bread, uh, when that happens, I'm fucked. Like, things are bad now on an intellectual level. I mean, they're openly terrible for immigrants and Muslims. That's already happening. But like the fucking Logan Square liberal, eh, especially a male one, especially a white male one, uh, we're fine for now. But don't count on that lasting. Consider that President Bannon has, has installed himself on the National Security Council. Here's a fun game I played the other day. Maybe you should play it at home. Take a piece of paper and write down the date that you think Donald Trump will use his first nuclear bomb. Fold that piece of paper up, put it away somewhere, somewhere where you will remember it. Then when he does it, go and find the piece of paper, compare the dates, and, wonder, and I wonder if you'll find that past you was a bit more hopeful than he or she should have been. <laughs> of course I'm being fatuous, don't worry. We won't be around to compare dates because we'll be killed in a nuclear explosion. <laughs> Come on, guys, why aren't you laughing? <laughs> Being vaporized before you know what's even happening in a hell country you no longer recognize and ache to leave has to be better than dying of old age in a great country where you're like, ugh, if only I had more time to enjoy this free health care and the general tenor of kindness one finds at all times on the internet. <laughs> How I wish I could spend more mornings waking up and reading the news, my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, thank God that's not going to happen. Oh, and the Democrats. The Democrats! It's a poetic, almost beautiful in its ugliness, the way they've so profoundly failed to do the obviously right thing. They were given an insane gift by virtue of simply not being the party of insane racists. They get the support of pretty much every reasonable person, even conservative people, pretty much by default, regardless of the strength of their policy. It's beyond what any political party could ever dream of, free, automatic uh, support for no effort. And when a massive block of their supporters is overwhelmed with patriotism and passion and takes to the streets in historic numbers and screams in a loud, clear voice exactly what they want, the Democrats are like, let's collectively walk into a metaphorical open manhole while carrying a huge metaphorical wedding cake and vote for Ben Carson. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, Bannon is irredeemable. Just accept it. There's no working with him, even if it's on things that seem like they're not as bad. People who do that are called collaborators, and it's still war crimes when they do it. <sighs> you know, I don't like doing this. I don't like coming up here and doomsaying, yelling into the void about dread and despair. And I hear you thinking, uh, Tom, you're a white man. I can guarantee that there's nothing you like more than screaming your opinions at people. <laughs> 
To which I'd reply, why'd you have to ruin my scene? I'm clearly doing a bit here. Respect the illusion. Respect theater. But anyway, that, that's why I wanted to end this by focusing on ten pieces of silver lining, ten good things from the month of January. Number one, Someone unearthed and reshared an old story from December 2015 in which Dick Cheney decried the Muslim ban as morally unacceptable, thereby becoming a moral authority in comparison to the current administration, which confirms that we are living in the mirror universe from Star Trek. <laughs> which isn't exactly good so much as interesting, but... Eh. <laughs> Number two, the Bannon administration has already walked back some of the more clearly insane and extremely bad things it put forth after massive public outcry, like paying for the wall with a 20% import tax from Mexico and uh, the gag order on the USDA, proving that in at least a small way, they will react to pressure. Number three, the goddamn ACLU, heroes. Freed some, not all, detainees unjustly imprisoned at airports throughout the country, and they will continue to fight and win. Yes. <laughs> Number four, fucking massive protests all over. The Women's March, impromptu protests in airports nationwide, showing to Bannon and the world that Americans are not going to tolerate this shit and will resist evil taking over the country. They'll never admit it, but it frightens them. Number five, in the face of the Bannon administration gagging government science departments and the National Park Service, rogue employees have taken anonymously to social media to speak out. These people are goddamn heroes, and the Democrats could learn from them. Yes. Number six, actual Nazi Richard Spencer got punched in the face on TV and cried. I know there's some controversy over, like, is that v violence? Do we accept that? The fucking national, the national policy for Nazis was for, like, a lot of years to shoot them on sight. So the fact that we're just punching them, they should be thankful. <laughs> Number seven. I see a lot more people becoming interested in like, actually running for office and replacing the Democrats with people who will actually fight for human rights instead of getting trapped in giant balls of lint on their way to the Senate chambers. <laughs> Number eight, people are becoming so much more politically active. Like me, I used to do nothing. <laughs> Calling their representatives, uh, taking collective civic action, protesting, making their voices heard. Political action works. Call your reps, we need it now more than ever. Number nine, embarrassing Trump works. Calling him illegitimate works. He hates it. Calling his policies stupid works. Ridicule and resistance work. It kills him. I refuse to let him be happy for a fucking second. Yeah, yeah. While he allows his boss, President Bannon, to wreak his policy of race hate on the world. We must keep publicly, dis publicly displaying that we reject everything he stands for and also dislike him personally. Yeah. And number 10, Triple X, The Return of Xander Cage, was pretty okay. <laughs> now, before we move on to the op-ed portion of the show, I'd like to bring up to the stage co-producer of The Skewer, Erica Dreisbach, to give you a live voicemail op-ed. Erica, take it away. Oh. 
who we call in today, Erica. We're going to call my ward alderman, Harry Osterman, the 48th ward. That's because I've been calling my senators and my reps a lot and um, maybe burning some bridges there. <laughs> All right. You're not going to believe it, but the speaker is on. of Alderman Harry Osterman. I'm Osterman. sorry we can't take the call right now. Please leave a message after the tone. Thank you. Hello, my name is Erica Dreisbach. I live in 60660 near Broadway and Granville in Ward 48. I am calling because I've been looking at the Alderman's Facebook, which has had a lot of photo ops in New Chinatown, a lot of posts about the Target that's going to maybe go up at the 6400 North Sheridan Block, and a lot of posts about yuppie-rific terms of interest like new condos. But what I have not been seeing is anything that indicates that the two mosques that are in Ward 48 are going to be protected. What is the alderman doing to protect our Muslim brothers and sisters? There's also a Planned Parenthood at, at uh, Rogers Park at Devon and, and Broadway. If that closes because it's defunded, what are you doing? Are you stocking up on mephipristone? The abortion pill? Are you stocking up on plan B? And tomorrow you're going to be having an event at the school. I'll be there. I'll see you there. But uh, I want to see a lot more strength from you. I want to know what you're doing to protect us. I want to know what you're doing to oppose the Trump administration. And if I see that strength from you, then I'm going to have be voting for you again. And if I don't see that strength for you, then I'm going to run against you. Because I don't have a day job, Harry. <laughs> and this is 30 people in Chicago who agree with me. Yeah. Thanks. You know what I forgot to mention to you? I was going to really take him to task because Broadway and Granville is getting torn up maybe every seven weeks or so with like jackhammers. It's really obnoxious. That's like probably what they're more used to hearing complaints about. If you look on the tables or around, there's little slips of paper with ways to call uh, our senators here in Illinois or get information about uh, your representatives elsewhere and some essential actions because it's easy to get overwhelmed on any given day about what we're supposed to be angry about today. So grab a slip of paper, and if you don't find a slip of paper, come see me. Thanks, everybody. That was great. I don't have anything to say other than that was fantastic. Um, so on to the uh, op-ed portion of the show, where we got people up talking about the news of the month. Our first writer is a, the founder of the Windy City Rollers, Chicago's all-female roller derby league. She's also a founding writer at Drinkers with writing problems. She's also a cast member at the Cates. She's just great. You see her in all the shows, you'll be like, this is a good show. I'm so glad she's here, and you'll soon know why. Elizabeth Gomez! The thing that you failed to mention is that I work for an alderman. <laughs> the funny thing about that is I'm sorry that the intern's going to delete your email. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's terrible. It's a terrible thing to say. Vote, you guys. It's important. It is important. I am no longer a child with wide eyes and a hope for a better future. I've been through the future, which now lays at my feet as my past. 
Best I try, I try to suppress my crotchety mumbles of goddamn idiots and what's wrong with ice trays as I struggle to update my refrigerator's technology to cube, crush, or even melt my ice from freezing ass cold to just below room temperature so that I have the privilege to have a chilled beverage without causing any kind of pain to my sensitive old teeth. <laughs> this is America now, a magical land of elves that can create products to ease our most ridiculous concerns without everyone even noticing it's happened. At this point, I'm 43 years old and I quickly can list where my better future has slapped me in the face with biting reality. Struggling as a poor family with a single immigrant mother that barely spoke English. The racist remarks and actions I have witnessed based on my own brownness. The disappointment of knowing your dreams are not going to be coming true because you need a job before you need a degree. Suffering multiple physical abuses and sexual assaults by a boyfriend. Realizing love isn't enough through a failed marriage. Raising daughters in the city of Chicago while crossing my fingers that they won't get shot walking home from school, in school, at the mall, at the movies, at a concert, in a parking lot, in a church, at work, in an airport, on the beach, in a nightclub by a former coworker, by a lover, or even by their own toddler. Even after all this, I feel compelled to believe that humans are better than all these things. That deep in our heart, we want changes for a better future. Earlier this year, I heard that call for change. I was running through my morning media routine, NPR blaring in the background, my computer screen rolling through the day's headlines, and Facebook screaming my, for my attention from a small pocket computer now known as a phone. <laughs> Up until this moment, I didn't even realize how long it had been since I last seen Saturday Night Live. And I had no idea who Katie Rich was. Katie Rich, a writer on SNL, was on the cusp of being fired for tweeting a joke. Americans, liberal and conservative alike, were pissed, according to the media. It was the inauguration of our 45th president, a pocked skin tangerine with rosacea, named Donald Trump. I apologize, tangerines are delightful. <laughs> and Trump is an infected, ingrown hair that builds to a hard mass that takes too long to pop. <laughs> Sitting on your skin with a daily dull ache reminding you about how gross it is. Yet if you took a needle to it, it would feed off your resentment using a light, clear liquid of hate, but never letting go of their purpose to make you miserable. I know. <laughs> I had some feelings there. <laughs> the internet was blissfully posting photos of Trump's family looking disappointed, bored, and completely uninspired about the massive political change they had just made in America. Katie Rich seized on this opportunity to create a joke that was strong in its setup, execution, timing, and message. And that was, Barron will be the country, this country's first homeschool shooter. Once I got over my shock that anybody would name their child Baron, I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. And then I hoped and I hoped and I hoped because fuck Trump. 
People started posting messages calling for action and social guidelines. No matter what the politics, kids are off limits. Katie Rich should be fired for making fun of a child. This is unacceptable behavior. Katie Rich is a bully and should go. For the sake of time, I'll set aside the, sat the fact that the actual president on the campaign trail consistently bullied and made fun of people, including those with disabilities. Let's also forget that the Obama girls were being called apes when they entered the White House, and that a former GOP staffer posted on Facebook that the girls should, quote, dress like you deserve respect, not a seat at the bar, unquote. So let's not pretend that being a bully or being a dick to kids is anything new. This prompted me to write a status on my Facebook. Quote, to be clear, if a comedy writer writes a joke about a kid becoming a shooter, we must demand action causing changes. But if an actual kid actually shoots a room full of children, we should not demand action causing changes. Is that right, America? Yeah. And for those of you who would say to me, it's not the same, you're right, because in one scenario, a child has gotten his feelings hurt, and in the other, all the children are dead, unquote. It shouldn't have come to a shock to me that people were crapping large turds of outrage into the social network toilet bowl. But I wanted to send a message, and I wanted it to be clear. Demand real action from real people about real fucking issues. When posting about tragedies where first graders are actually slaughtered through the use of guns, I see many posts about how sorry people are about the tragedy, how prayers and thoughts are with families, or how will this ever end? But we all know the truth that it never will end if we don't pressure the people and politicians around us the same way Americans did to the heads of Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live has the right to stand by the First Amendment, and they are a private company. They have no reason to give in to the general public, but they did because it was the right fucking thing to do, to listen and to make a move. How is it that American politicians can stand over the graves of dozens dozens of six and seven-year-olds without wanting to change our gun laws? What is going on with the American public that we can pressure companies to fire employees for being racist or hate rich white kids, but we cannot get any traction to fire the goddamn National Rifle Association, a lobbying group that consistently donates money to politicians to block legislations for requests of simple things like hearings about the effects of guns on the general public, similar to that which we've used for bike helmets and for car seats and for beer. The worst reality is that in the American legislative system, we as citizens are the bosses. We're supposed to be able to demand that our representatives take action, and if they do not, we are supposed to have the power to fire them, but we don't. Why? 
because it's easier to shame a corporation from our couch about an employee's bad behavior than it is to show up to the protest, to donate money, and make threatening calls to politicians to demand the change of the landscape in America for violence. There are no stakes for us in getting Katie Rich fired. She's one woman whose name will soon get lost in the annals of five-minute scandals in America. But to enact real change in our system, we have to take risks. We have to be the David staring down the barrel of Goliath's gun by getting off our couch, moved by faith, and putting down our 150-ounce drink to attempt our first shot. We have to face the reality of who we are as a culture. We have to question what we're doing. And we have to face the fact that someone we love could walk into this room and murder us all. Because this is also what America is now. A place where none of us are ever safe. Mother Jones has been tracking a number of mass shootings defined as three or more victims killed in an indiscriminate public rampage from 1982 until today. 85 thus far, and 48 happening just in the last 10 years. Chicago has been running tally on several websites that track daily shootings, which just between last January and now stands at 4,367, and 306 of them just happened this month. It feels like there are as many sites tracking gun-related deaths as there are Tinder profiles. There's actually a website called toddlerkills.org. All this information, all this witness to carnage, and still we continue to sit and wait for someone else to do something. And let's be real. We're all scared. What do we know about gun control? What do we know about legislation? How do you even start a conversation with your local representatives, let alone all of Congress, while standing nose to nose with a massive powerhouse like the NRA? The answer is you just do it. The way that people came to this country and fucking built it. There was no plan. You just put one foot in front of the other. And in this case, all you have to do is walk into the offices of your congressman or your senator or your alderman and just say, hey, I'd like a minute of your time so we can figure this out. You look to donate to organizations that help locally as well as nationally, like Cease Fire or Sandy Hook Promise. You get involved in letter writing campaigns. You sit across the table of a beloved family member and tell them, you know what, keep your fucking gun, but stop donating to the NRA. You vote out the people in power who are backed by organizations whose sole purpose is to sell you more guns. Like, what the fuck is a silencer for except to murder people? <laughs> uh, there I go, being crotchety again. I can say this about President mucous membrane that appears on my underwear when I'm ovulating. <laughs> is that he has created some fighters in our people. I wish 500,000 people would have marched on Washington after Sandy Hook, Columbine, Orlando, Fort Hood, Planned Parenthood, the Sikh Temple, the Charleston Church, and so many others. 
I know I wish I would have. In my heart of hearts, I feel, I fear, I fear that reviewing and revamping our gun laws will just fly under our priorities. I hope that it won't take another mass shooting for us to just take notice again. I can only wish that the NRA would tweet a hilarious joke about Trump's kid so that we can truly become outraged and demand change and then maybe I can believe in a better future again because despite my cynicism, I really want to. Thank you. Holy shit! Usually I put a little joke here, but no, not this time. <laughs> that was fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, next up to the stage, to give an op-ed for your ears is a, uh, a producer of We Still Like You, a great storytelling show that I don't know what, what when is it? Uh, the next one's this Saturday at 10. The next one's this Saturday at 10. It's fantastic. You should go see it. Um, she's also a comedian, and she has uh, most recently played the titular role in the acclaimed show Baron Trump Up Past Bedtime. Yes. Please welcome Shannon Knoll. Speaking of trolling, um, <laughs> uh, I'm not going to talk about that tonight. I actually don't need this stool, but I have it anyway, um, in case I get lazy. So the past 10 days, uh, or the first 10 days of the Trump presidency were rough. 20 executive orders in 10 days, most of them seeking to limit basic human rights, in addition to a slew of nominations of people uh, decidedly unfit for the positions they're set to fill. But then yesterday morning came and the sun rose high and bright into the sky, a shining beacon of light coming down from Capitol Hill, a rainbow, if you will, in the midst of a storm, a strand of colorful beads with a Budweiser logo thrown by a go-go boy in a Speedo. <laughs> a flannel shirt on a cold winter night, the high note in an Elton John song, or the low note sung by the Indigo Girls, a fresh buzz cut, a new rescue kitten. Finding that cute girl at the end uh, of the night as the lights go on after last call at Berlin. What I'm saying is, yesterday, President Donald J. Trump said, he will uphold President Obama's 2014 executive order directing federal contractors not to discriminate against the LGBTQ community. The clouds have cleared. I'm on my gay wedding day and I suddenly realized Donald Trump is a-okay. This is where I was set to throw confetti, but I didn't want to make a mess. Now, I don't care if he bans Muslims or builds a border wall or ruins international relations with everyone besides Russia and the Philippines. Starts a war in China, openly supports torture. So what if he continues to profit from international real estate holdings or cuts off women's access to health care or makes health care prohibitively expensive for all? As a minority, the only cause I do care about is my own. 
I'm like a homing pigeon. And my home is vagina on vagina action. If it ain't about pussies on pussies or dicks on dicks, I frankly don't care. (laughs) And yes, I wish he would have used the full acronym of LGBTQQIA and sometimes K. And yes, as a genderqueer individual, I do fall under the transgender umbrella, and Trump really hasn't made a statement on where he stands on transgender rights, but he is friends with Caitlyn Jenner, so. (laughs) And also, it's bad luck to open umbrella indoors, so for now, I'll just taste the rainbow. (laughs) This is where I was set to throw confetti again. (laughs) Trump says he likes gay people, and that's all I need. It's no matter that his vice president, Mike Pence, is most likely a self-hating gay man himself (laughs) who is opposed to the very same directive that Trump just vowed to uphold. When it was first signed, Pence said, the federal government has no business getting involved in issues of this nature. But I think what he really meant to add was, eh, I guess the gays are okay. And sure, Pence also said gay couples, uh, said uh, gay people and gay couples signaled a societal collapse, opposed a law that would prohibit the discrimination of LGBT people in the workplace, opposed the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, is a proponent of gay conversion therapy, and rejected the Obama's administration's uh, directive on transgender bathrooms. So sure, Mike Pence hates gay people, but what's important is that Donald Trump loves the gays. <laughs> You guys still need proof? (laughs) During his speech at the Republican National Convention, while still on the campaign trail, Trump said, only weeks ago, and I quote, in Orlando, Florida, 49 wonderful Americans were savagely murdered by an Islamic terrorist. This time, the terrorist targeted the LGBTQ community. No good, and we're going to stop it. As your president, I will do everything in my power to protect LGBTQ citizens from the violence and impression of a hateful foreign ideology, believe me. Listen to what he said. He doesn't want gay people to get shot. (laughs) He's not okay with us being shot. The clear enemy here is Muslims. Only Muslims hate gay people. When Mike Pence, a Christian, said in 2006 that societal collapse was always brought, up, brought about by, uh, following an advent of the deterioration of marriage and family while fighting for a bill that would make marriage between, sa- uh, between same-sex people illegal, uh, he was just saying, eh, but also the gays are okay. <laughs> Still need more proof? Yes. 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 All right, so let me show you something. So Donald Trump's name, right, is Donald, you won't be able to see this, but trust me, Donald J. Trump. Now, what is the one thing that all gay people like? Just this, maybe. (laughs) Even more so than that. I don't know that all gay people. I know you all have a lot of input on this, but (laughs) stay with me. If you take it down to simple initials, you've got DJ Trump. What do all gay people like? DJs. (laughs) 
so I'll set this on this handy stool I pulled up. <laughs> as evidence right there. I should have put a bookmark in here. <laughs> so I'd like to also say, sure, Donald Trump uh, has chosen to surround himself with people less than friendly to the queers, as I've mentioned, Mike Pence as vice president. Also, Steve Bannon as his chief strategist, a man who oversaw Breitbart News while self-hating gay himself, another one, Milo, you know, you know whatever the fuck. <laughs> advocated for uh, gay men to return to the closet and said it's okay for straight people to use gay slurs. Uh, and also today, nominating uh, Neil Gorsuch as a Supreme Court Justice, whose history includes ruling in favor of Hobby Lobby um, and their right to uh, not offer health care to women to get um, contraception because of religious beliefs, which of course could never transfer to gay issues, um, and also has openly said that he opposes same-sex marriage and decided against an present trans woman who is not being given proper hormone doses and kept in a male facility. But none of that matters, because what matters is what Trump says and not what he does. And to make you this uh, a more visual point for you, I'll prove to you that what you say matters and what you do does not by taking Donald J. Trump's name, or DJ Trump as we might call him, and sticking it in my asshole. <laughs> Because I love Donald Trump, and to show him that, after wearing this in my butthole all night long, I just might send it to him. Thank you. My fence is so gay, he calls his wife mother. It's real. Look it up on the Google. It's news. It's not fake news. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Shannon, no, thank you. That was fantastic. <laughs> Next up to the stage to deliver an op-ed is the co-producer of this very show. She's a frequent. Uh, I guess, is, is Right Club still going on? You, were, you are a frequent contributor to Right Club. You, were, you have been several times the featured poet at the legendary Green Mill. Erica Dreisbach, everybody. Uh, so I was at the Women's March in D.C. 11 days ago, and I'm going to talk about that. I was at the Women's March in D.C. 11 days ago. It was incredible. My husband, Ron, and I, we flew to New York City, and we met my mother at Penn Station. She'd been taking the train all day from Vermont, and the train goes, stops in New York, and it goes to D.C., and my mom was aglow. I don't think I'd seen her looking, she looked 30 again. It was like time travel, and the train was packed with women, and any men who were there were chaperoned by a woman or a baby. <laughs> 
and Vlad was reading to me from his phone about accounts of women on planes, planefuls of women flying to Washington, D.C., and the stewardess is saying, well, ladies, because the whole plane was ladies, and I just got so jazzed, I said to Vlad, this is my burning man. <laughs> And my friend texted me, I'll see you on the battlefield. And I said, it won't be a battlefield. It'll be a burning room. It'll be bloody where men fear to tread. And we arrived in Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. at 11.30 p.m. on the night of inauguration was quiet. There was no traffic. There were no crowds. There was no ticker tape. There was no sign that anything of importance had happened that day. And the next morning, we were part of the pink-hatted streams of women streaming in from every sidewalk on every side street. It was like when you get ants in your kitchen, and you just see the ants coming in through the door, and you're like, there's no stopping them. I, I couldn't stop them even if I tried. I should just get on the side of the ants. It was like that. There's just women coming, and oh, so many women and men chaperoned by babies or women, and there were men and women of all kinds. I, I won't lie, there was a lot of representation by white women, not going to lie, but there were also women in wheelchairs, there were old couples holding hands, there were, there were um, teenagers, there was one teenager who sang the preamble to the Constitution and made me cry. <laughs> And there were a lot of speakers. So when we got to Independence Avenue, it was just packed with people. There was a stage somewhere. We couldn't even see where the stage was. There were screens, and there was some really dope audio. So we just stayed, and we stood, and we waited to march, and we heard speakers. And Michael Moore got up there, and he said, I'll only be a minute. They said he'd give me three minutes, but I'll only take one minute. He spoke for 15 minutes. <laughs> and then... Ashley Judd cut him off. We saw Alicia Keys. I saw Janelle Monet. I saw all kinds of activists. And then around 3 o'clock, they announced, we can't march because the entire route is packed with people. So we're just going to shuffle towards the ellipse. I'd never heard of the ellipse before, but it's a landmark in D.C. It's near the Washington Monument. And so we all shuffled north. And uh, I was so moved to be among so many joyful happy people, people excited, people fired up, maybe believe in democracy, but I was even more moved by the response to the counter-protesters, and there was a handful of them. There were, um, like, uh, if any of you ever escorted someone to an abortion clinic, there's always the professional protesters with the big signs of aborted fetuses, so there was like a, a couple dozen of those people, and um, moving through the crowd, there were people with signs that said, Jesus saves, and watch out for the rapture. And I was really moved by the response, which was nothing. <laughs> nobody said a word. Nobody booed. Nobody gave those guys the finger. Nobody, uh, nobody made rude gestures. It was like, this is our party. You can come to the party if you want, but if you're not part of the party, I'm trying to see Michael Moore speak for too long. <laughs> can you put down the sign? Not because I disagree, but I just, I'm just trying to, I just want to see him. Uh, 
and then afterwards, there were all these, I called them the red hat people, all the make America great hat people who were left over from the inauguration. They were still around, but the pink hat people were everywhere, and everyone was coexisting. And I believed in America again. I believed that there could be, that we're not gonna descend into a ruthless, violent, white nationalist, fascist state, but that ideas can coexist, differences can coexist. And right now, there are a lot of Jill Stein voters asking themselves tough questions. <laughs> and there are a lot of Bernie bros asking themselves tough questions. And so help us, there are Gary Johnson voters asking themselves tough questions, and even Donald Trump voters asking themselves real tough questions. And the hardest thing for those of us in the resistance to do is gonna not gloat in their stupid fucking faces, but to welcome them into the joyful party. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because that's how we're going to destroy Donald Trump. And he must be destroyed. So, if it will be a resistance, let it be a joyful dance party resistance. Thank you, everyone. Oh, once more for Erica Schreisberg. As for what I was doing on the day of the Women's March, I was going to see Triple X 3, The Return of Xander Cage, which I don't know if that retroactively changes my vote to count for Trump, but it probably does a little. Anyway, our next op-ed writer is a musical comedian, a vaudeville performer, and just all-around all great person, and Oscar Buff extraordinaire. She's this week, or not this week, on February 11th, she is emceeing the Chicago League of Lady Arm Wrestlers. All proceeds to that, from that event go to Sideshow Theater Company and the Chicago Women's Health Center. Please welcome Elisa Rosenthal. Hello, thank you. Oh, guys. <laughs> this is going to be a little different. I'm so excited. It's Oscar season! <laughs> I'm here to help you feel prepared. <laughs> uh, my Facebook feed is now only 95% politics and 5% movies, uh, which is a delineation I'm almost comfortable with. Oh, finally, moviegoers like myself are no longer the old school, retro experience loving misfits we usually are. But now I'm joined by the rest of people who kind of want to see some of the movies. So they'll at least have a pony in the race at their Oscar party. I'm not complaining. Come join us. The water's fine. <laughs> and so buttery. <laughs> and this is actually an interesting year. Past years of nominated movies and performances have been met with every sort of reaction from to, oh! <laughs> I gotta say, it's gonna be an exciting race. There's a lot to root for. It's an eclectic bunch, spanning lots of genres, storytelling styles, and melanin levels in the protagonist's skins. <laughs> So here's your rundown. Uh, nominated 
for uh, oh, well, there, there's this super loud conversation in the back. If you just want to, I'm sorry, I work with kids, so like two, two, two. Thank you. Um, okay, so nominated for eight awards each. Best picture nominees include Moonlight, the simmering piece of poetry looking at one African American man's life at three different chapters, and Arrival, the understated sci-fi thriller where Amy Adams teach, tries to teach empathy to aliens. <laughs> Closely behind its six nominations are Ryan, Dev Patel, Who Am I? movie, <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge, Blow Em Up War movie about a pacifist, starring Andrew Garfield, and nabbing a surprising Best Director nom for documented anti-Semite Mel Gibson, okay, Hollywood, <laughs> and Manchester by the Sea. Please forget about my sexual abuse allegations. Love, Casey Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> That was his letter to humanity. <laughs> With four nominations, we have Fences, which Denzel Washington, I'm pretty sure, made specifically so back-in-time theater major Elisa could die happy. <laughs> and Heller High Water, a.k.a. Pretty Boys Shoot Things. With three hidden figures in which all of my lady crushes are on screen at the same time being badass and doing math. <laughs> and lastly... Let us not forget La La Land. Up for a whopping 14 Academy Awards. That's the same as Titanic. <laughs> and nothing even crashed and sank in that one, except for Emma Stone's singing talent, am I right? <laughs> La La Land has been crushing box office numbers and sweeping up awards left and right, and yet has taken on huge backlash. From the moment those adorable La La Land ads featuring a classic-looking Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling dancing hit the pre-Christmas ad landscape, it was suddenly en vogue to hate this charming movie. And why is that? This is a movie tailor-made to things I personally like. <laughs> Musical? Check. Comedy? Check. With some drama? Check. <laughs> A love story? Check. Ryan Gosling? Check, please. <laughs> With references to old Hollywood and a charming portrayal of the things I actually like about L.A. and spontaneous tap dancing, I was so excited to see this movie on Christmas Day, which I did with the 400 other Jews who decided to go home to their parents' house in Arlington Heights. <laughs> and for some reason, the packedness of this theater and the grumpy intensity to which people had to get tickets to La La Land and only La La Land and my stepdad openly snoring through three quarters of the movie all instantly rubbed me the wrong way and why is that? Why is this movie success a thing that is making me so grumpy? Okay, disclaimer here. There are some thematic spoilers in this next section, but I promise you it is only to give you a deeper artistic understanding of the film and also my personal anxieties. Um, and also, it's just La La Land, so you'll survive. <laughs> okay, here's what I didn't like about this movie. It's not really doing anything new. At best, it's a subpar movie musical. Oh! <laughs> Emma Stone singing offended me on a personal level. <laughs> I found the songs and dances underwhelming. In fact, I actively dreaded those scenes. And come on, those are usually the best scenes. You don't watch West Side Story for the scenes where they're not singing and dancing. <sighs> it's another movie that for 
people of color exist in the world. <laughs> and oh, just when Emma Stone's at her lowest point, a deus ex machina sweeps in and makes everything fine. Okay, Emma Stone plays an actress, a struggling actress who goes on endless bad auditions with rude casting directors and is wondering if she really has it in her and is really good enough. Her lowest point is when she self-produces a solo show and basically no one comes. That part hit a little too close to home for me. <laughs> A lot of times, the things we don't like in stories are reflecting a part of ourselves that we're not necessarily cool with. I've never wanted to move to LA, but I've always wondered if maybe I should have by now. Would a big time casting director happen to have been one of the seven people in the audience at my one woman show? Who would have happened to have tracked down my number to invite me to audition for a movie that happens to shoot in France? That they were happening to make all around me? And that one job would have solved all of my problems and made me rich and happy for the rest of my life? Would that have been my experience in LA? But like, would it? This movie does make some arguments for my personal road not taken <laughs> and gets at some interesting takes on the classic Hollywood love story ending. I found a lot of its portrayal of being an actress fairly true to my experience and also, I mean, <laughs> I've dated my share of jazz musicians. I totally get it. <laughs> and it is such a happy, sparkly, well-done escapism. It totally hit the moment just right. It's just... What does it mean that this is the movie a seeming majority is all excited about? Some of these other movies it's up against are just so beautiful and innovative and really well done about life experiences rarely examined in a major Oscar-awarded way. La La Land's win seems inevitable. It's like watching a race where... There's someone I want to win who doesn't stand a chance. And um, someone who should win, who I'm like actively excited for. Uh, and someone who will win, which just seems to set us back to that time, that golden era of America. Yeah. Oh, I got too real. This was such a fun piece. <laughs> but isn't it cool that something as arbitrary as an award show can let you know about art you might not know about otherwise, regardless of if you find it good or bad? It feels great to have passion about something inconsequential. Also, go see 20th Century Women. It's the writer-director who did Beginners. It passes the Bechtel test immediately and is all about raising guys to be feminist. I think that movie will make the world a better place. Thank you! <laughs> Once more for our official Oscar correspondent, Alicia Rosenthal. I just want to take a small moment to say that the first two movies Janelle Monet was ever in are both nominated for Best Picture. And there are some people here who can uh, vouch that I was an early adopter of Janelle Monet. She is the best human of all time. I went to one of her concerts, and during Come Alive, she came down into the crowd, and like during the part where it gets slow, she had everyone like go like this. Yeah, and when, when she like made her stop while she was walking through the crowd, 
I, it was like, she's here, I'm here. And I was like looking right at her. And I'm not gonna say that a, per a personal connection between the two of us was made that will endure forever, but against all odds, my soul is still alive. <laughs> so make your own judgment. Anyway, <laughs> our final op-ed uh, performer is a, a fantastic writer all around. She's a staff writer for the award-winning fiction podcast, Pleasure Town. She is a repeat performer on the Paper Machete. She's a four-time Write Club champion, and she's also a two-time appearer on my show, You Don't Understand, yeah. the best two episodes, I'll go ahead and say. Gwen Vulture! just got recognized for an episode. <laughs> so, yeah, if you see, if you listen, you don't understand, I was on the episode about Krull, the 1980s uh, movie that was incredible. It was so good. The glaive is one of the best weapons ever invented. I mean, worst, like, you should never handle one because it will cut you up, but, like, it's an incredible weapon for movies. And also, yeah, and then the other episode was Dune because Dune! Amazing! Oh wait, have we done three episodes? Oh my god, Battlestar Galactica! You guys, I got to be on all the best episodes by accident. It was really, it really worked out. I'm very lucky. Hi, how's everybody doing? It's been a, it's been a good night. It's been a good night. All right, brothers and sisters, fellow saints whose spirits defy the baseless binary of our culture, dearly beloved. Let us pray. Ah, as we have gathered here tonight, let us take comfort in each other. Let us mourn together, share our griefs and our losses, but also rejoice in community, rejoice in truth, and rejoice in the torrid, steamy, fully physical yet hidden romance between two kind, beautiful men, and a romance that deserves to see the light of day, to be celebrated and not secreted away. We gather to honor these two men and their power, their kindness, and their love. And in their hallowed names, we will pray, amen. Amen. Friends, we are come here tonight to bid a fond farewell to the Obama-Biden bromance. <laughs> and to bid a glorious good welcome to Barack and Joe in their true form <laughs> as firm, committed, polyamorous lovers. Yeah! We can never presume to know the depth of their secret love, the hushed whispers and tender caresses that they enjoyed, but can only hope that before they left the White House behind, they fulfilled all their late night bucket list trysts. <laughs> Tenderly up against the glass hutches in the china room, midnights in the rose garden under the silver moon, and all the safe, sane, and consensual kink that comes with the joy of intricate silken rope work in the blue room to their heart's content. Amen. For if there are any individuals who deserve every kind of happiness together and with their spouses, it is Barack and Joe. Let us not speculate on their roles on tops and bottoms, but rather meditate on the firm yet supple knowledge that they are both definitely power switches. <laughs> 
there is no greater blessing than to both give and receive the kind of boundless love that we know these two men have for each other. <laughs> Perhaps in the final wee hours of the morning on the last day of official residence, as they lay back, spent, heaving from the exertion and the joy, lips bruised and chapped from passionate kisses, arms quivering from the delight of reciprocal reach-arounds, <laughs> gently cupping each other's nutsacks in repose. They think back on their eight years of work, hard work, long work, and the love they built together. They remember like it was yesterday when Joe made the first move. It was January 3rd, 2008, following a devastating, tearful speech in which he announced the suspension of his second presidential campaign. It was a painful moment, but also a galvanizing one for Joe. He may have had to finally lay his presidential aspirations to bed, but he'd be goddamned if that meant he wasn't going to lay something else to bed that night. He was already at rock bottom, already at his lowest. If there was one more rejection in store for him, he had to know, and he might as well know right now. <laughs> Willing to risk a failure of the heart so close after a blow to his spirit, Joe decided to act, refusing to walk away from months of agonizing, prolonged eye contact at Democratic functions. And the torturous looks from Barack with his signature bottom lip bite. <laughs> coyly sending Joe into a painful ecstasy every time. Amen. Yeah. Joe hastily penned a note on the back of a cocktail napkin. Throwing caution to the wind, he tasked a trusted aide with delivering it that very night. It was poorly executed, but all heart. Just a few scribbled lyrics from the 1996 R&B hit, Don't Let Go by In Vogue. <laughs> Dear Barack, what's it gonna be? Cause I can't pretend. Don't you wanna be more than friends? And instead of a signature, just a drawing of two finger guns, a little note that carried a great weight a note which brought two men's hearts together as one, a note which Barack has delicately tucked into his inside pocket every day since. Barack's response was swift as it was loving. He called Joe to ask him for his hand as his vice president, vowing that though he could not predict whether they would win or all that they would have to face together if they did, if Joe were up for the task, Barack could promise in the vein of that self-same song, there'll be some love-making, heart-breaking, soul-shaking, woo! On January 20th, 2009, the day they first took office, like giddy newlyweds, they secretly exchanged personalized cock rings. Each engraved with their lover's initials and little hearts. Barack's from Joe also bore the date April 26, 2007. That was the first Democratic Party presidential debate for the 2008 election, during which Barack and Joe, then both still presidential candidates, were stationed right next to each other on the debate stage, an arm span away, 
a heartbeat away. <laughs> Joe's ring from Barack had an etching of the word soul shaker <laughs> and two finger guns. <laughs> they both blushed tenderly. Oh, the pleasure of love's blossom. It's in its full bloom. Oh, how the moments lingered, yet the years raced out of reach all at once. Four years turned to eight, two years shy of a decade side by side. The best of friends and the best of lovers. Let us leave Michelle and Jill to themselves. Their doting consent in these few stolen nights of group love will doubtless sizzle in their minds forever, especially the occasional drop-ins from Elizabeth Warren, whose stamina is legendary. Amen. But Barack and Joe, to imagine they share the ultimate in vulnerability, in utter capitulation of self, and in sweet, sweet deep digging. <laughs> Why, it is a pleasure devoutly to be wished for them. It is the sunset of their joint rule, but the, their love is on the rise. Now the halls of the White House echo with new voices. Do not despair. Know that in those last nights after planting exactly 44 hidden pranks and booby traps, Barack and Joe hunkered down in front of the fireplace in Lincoln's bedroom, snuggling close with Bo and Sonny, and leaned their heads together as they went through meme after Uncle Joe meme, laughing along with the sharp and devious wit of the citizens they dearly love in the country they dearly love, which they will never stop serving. Who knows? Maybe they spent a recent date night as two unassuming plainclothes figures on the edge of a chanting crowd at an airport or at a town hall packed with protesters looking on, marveling at the audacious and unyielding love of their fellow humans on display. Under their nondescript trucker hats pulled low, the proud tears they shed come complex and steady. But they're there, standing, witnessing, maybe holding hands. Maybe one squeezes tightly while the other whispers, damn it, Joe, are you ever not turned on by democracy? <laughs> Brothers and sisters, non-binary angels, let us not lose heart. Let us do what Barry and Joe would wish for us. Give and receive kindness freely. Listen honestly. Love fiercely. Fight bravely. Live compassionately. Vote consciously. Fuck early and fuck often. Or always be hitting that gym because the revolution will be personal and we need to keep those endorphin counts high, my sweet things, because we cannot afford to lose hope in ourselves or in each other or in what we can accomplish together. Joe Obama would not want that for us. In their names, we pray, amen. Oh my goodness. One more time for Gwen Fulcher, come on, please. If anyone were ever to ask me why Gwen Fulcher is a great person, and why would they, because why would there be any doubt, I would answer this. She, on Facebook earlier today, said that she would be singing an R&B, uh, some R&B during her piece at the Skewer Tonight. Uh, and I was like, holy shit, you better be serious about that or else I will disown you forever. 
tonight when she came into the show, she told me that she would be singing just a little bit, just a teeny bit, and I'm like, what? A, okay, I guess that qualifies. But then you did it two times. <laughs> two times. That's, that's real good. Now before we go on to the uh, debate portion of the evening, there's one more voicemail op-ed we're going to do, and it's going to be me this time who does it. So I'm going to be calling uh, Representative Luis Gutierrez of the 4th District of Illinois, where I live, uh, and I'm going to be telling him what I think. Now, I'm going to call his D.C. office, which, like, paradoxically enough, is the one that you can leave voicemails on. Usually it's the local office. But, you know, we'll see. And there's a pretty long message, uh, so we're going to have to just power through that. Let's call him up. Speakerphone. This is a great, great programming. <laughs> come on, come on. Thank you for calling the office of Congressman Luis Gutierrez. The office will be closed on Friday, December 9th. Normal operations will resume at 9 a.m. Notably, the past. And just a quick reminder, the Office of Congressman Luis Gutierrez will be closed on Friday, December 9th, 2016. Normal business hours are 9 to 5.30, and we will resume normal operations on Monday, December 12th, 2016. Thank you. Record your message after the tone. When you've finished, you can hang up or press 1 for more options. Hello, my name is uh, Tom Harrison. I live in Illinois' 4th District, zip code 60618, and I have some comments for Representative Gutierrez. Uh, first, before I get into this, I want to thank you for being a representative that shares my views and speaks out in Congress about them. Honestly, I appreciate it a lot. That said, I want to make it clear that during the Trump administration, your job is no longer representative. You are not a congressman. That is not your job title anymore. Time allowed. What? You are satisfied with <laughs> Hello, my name is Tom Harrison. I live in Illinois, 4th District, zip code 60618. I have some comments for Representative Gutierrez. First, I want to thank you for being a representative that shares my views and speaks out about them in Congress. Honestly, I appreciate it a lot. That said, I want to make it clear that during the Trump administration, your job is no longer representative. You are not a congressman. That is not your job title anymore. Let me explain. Recently, Trump threatened to send the military to occupy Chicago. I live in Chicago. I am terrified of this. When Trump says he will do insane things, I believe him. Representative Gutierrez released a statement about Trump's threat that explained how Trump has no real... You bitch! <laughs> what I would have said was... <laughs> released a statement about Trump's threat that explained how Trump has no real plans to solve Chicago's violence. He's just a blowhard. Now, if you were a congressman, that'd be a great response. Right on the issues. Concise. Catchy. Fantastic. But you are not a congressman. Representative Gutierrez, or his ghost, I guess. <laughs> For however long his administration lasts, your job is Trump buster. I do not want to hear you say again when Trump's ready to act like a big boy and take on the issues seriously, he'll have an ally with me. No! 
Trump serves Trump, and if you serve him, you serve Trump. His actions as president are irredeemable and make me afraid the U.S. Army will occupy, occupy my city and kill me. You are a Trump buster, and if you do not spend literally 100% of your time and energy on impeaching Donald Trump, I will hold you personally responsible, and you will not have my vote. But if you do impeach Trump, if that goes through successfully, and if your name is attached to it, my dude, I will make it my life's work to ensure that you have a seat in the house for life. And like, here's where you would cheer, but like, we're not, he, he, yeah. <laughs> when I left a message yesterday, I could go for like two and a half minutes. I don't know what's going on now. Anyway, debate time. Of course, the debate portion of the show is because there's always at least one issue every month that no one person can, can capture all the sides. We need to hear both sides of the story, and you, the audience, decides who is correct. Let me bring our debaters up to the stage. The first is an assistant editor of the AV Club and an early devotee of the young pope, Danette Chavez. <laughs> Uh, the next is a writer who, when asked for credits, does not respond, Mason Johnson. I work for CBS, and I don't remember if I uh, sold my soul when I got there, if they just took it. It's been, it's been that long. So our debate topic this month. Clearly for years, I would say. I mean, since the dawn of time, there's been a dearth. Is dearth the one where there's too little, or is that surf it? Dearth. Dearth. There's been a dearth of Pope-related media. Just not enough. I want more Pope stuff. But yeah. this month, January, HBO released The Young Pope. My question and the debate topic is, what should the next Pope-based show be? Danette, what will you be arguing for? Baby Pope! Baby Pope, yeah. yeah. Mason, what will you be arguing for? Robo Pope! <laughs> well, that's excellent. The way the debate's going to work, both of these fine people are going to read opening statements. After that, uh, I'm going to ask them questions, questions they have not seen before. They're going to have to answer on the fly, and then after that, they're going to deliver some closing statements, at which point, y'all, the audience, will decide who the winner is. So let's just go ahead and get going. Who wants to go first? I don't really decide. Hey, do you want to go? You can go first if you want to, or we can flip coin. If you want it. <laughs> Age before beauty. I'm actually older than Mason, so that, that doesn't make sense either way. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're getting at. Jeanette, you go first. I made an executive decision. Okay. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. I'm going to use your seat, baby. Yeah. Dearly beloved, I know you don't want to see it, but we have lost our way as a nation and as a people. The hour of our destruction is upon us. Though its exact cause is up for debate, be it technology, greed, 
women leaving the house, or some combination of the three, we are bound for ruin. Oh, you can retreat to your homes and smartphones, to your Star Wars and parks and recreation marathons, but there is no denying it. The evidence is all around you. Joblessness, fornication, violence in the streets, women leaving the house. <laughs> We've been in a moral freefall for years. Ever since B. Arthur had that abortion on that episode of Maud, she was dealt with, though. Her penance was guest starring on that failed Golden Girl spin-off, Golden Palace. <laughs> oh, and she's dead. <laughs> but try as we might, we've been unable to course correct. Our leaders, political and spiritual, have proven worthless. Even replacing our <sighs> Muslim president with a Christian, eh, close enough, <laughs> might have been enough, might not have been enough to slow down this Prius ride to hell. But I stand before you now with a plan, one that doesn't involve waiting for Kirk Cameron to meet the Lord himself, <laughs> or whatever incarnation is going on in those Left Behind movies. It is now clear to me that the only way to save our souls is to elect a pope who is free of sin, who hasn't yet been besmirched with knowledge of any kind. A pope who appreciates the simple beauty of a calm morning or of a baby smile, something they might catch in their own reflection. Who's that little girl? Who's the apostolic successor to Peter? Who's a good apostolic successor to Peter? It's you. That's right. It's you. <laughs> you see, what the world needs now isn't yet another pontiff entrenched in dogma or politics, or who's bald, again. No, our true salvation lies in the baby pope, not a holy father. I will introduce you to this beatific being who will show us the way to eternity after nap time. <laughs> Answer honestly, uh, do I look fancy? No. no. Do I look like I'm wearing a wig? No. No. Do I look big? Like medium maybe, uh, slightly taller than average, big, swole, large, and in charge, I am not, correct? Correct. So, audience, I'm no fancy bigwig. <laughs> Which is why you can trust me when I ask you to believe in RoboPope. <laughs> At a time when we are out of real heroes, when all hope has abandoned us, 
We must look to the boob tube to supply us with a savior. We must look toward HBO's original programming. <laughs> because if Ned Stark has taught us anything, it's that doing the right thing always pays off. <laughs> But we need something bigger and better if we are to survive our world. We need the hit show RoboPope to lead us into the next great age. RoboPope, the character's prime directives are as follows. <laughs> RoboPope will protect the public. RoboPope will protect the innocent. RoboPope will uphold those laws that are truly just and no, RoboPope's fourth directive is not classified. <laughs> RoboPope. <laughs> oh shit! That's a much better idea, RoboPup. Oh, we both just lost. <laughs> All right, rewind. RoboPope's fourth directive is not classified. RoboPope will. Punch Nazis! Yeah! Robopope will not unite us. Robopope will draw a line. Which side are you on? I mean, if Robopop, uh, Robopope sees, if Robopop, no. It's so difficult, it gets into your brain. Uh, but if Robopope, sees an unassuming, well-dressed, Aryan-looking Richard Spencer motherfucker walking down the street towards, say, like, the coffee shop, uh, Robopup probably is not going to do anything. Uh, but, but, if that Nazi attempts to address a crowd at a rally, if that Nazi deigns to do the shortest of interviews with the smallest local news channel, if that Nazi fills our public discourse with disgusting views, I promise you, regardless of where RoboPope is, a rocket-propelled fist will fly into view and smash every Nazi jaw in sight. Yeah. Yeah. RoboPope may have been created by God and recreated by scientists and an evil corporation, but by season three, it is you, the people, who will re-recreate RoboPope in the into the leader of the free world. Thank you. Oh, oh, don't wait. It's question and answer point. I gotta have both debaters. All right. Oh, it's going to be back and forth. There, it, it, it's, it's chaos over here. Danette. Robopup for mayor. Robopup. <laughs> yeah, if you, if, I'm going to have Robopup be a third candidate in the voting. I think so. Oh, Danette, I'm going to have to ask you some policy questions first. One, is the baby pope going to have baby-sized pope gear, or Will they make him wear the old Pope gear, but he'll just be hilariously swimming in it? The old Pope gear. Explain why. It smells like Jesus. <laughs> Mason, you got a lot to live up to in these answers. Really? How is the Catholic Church going to reconcile its views on uh, souls being sacred things created by God? Uh, with RoboPope's cult man-made AI brain. 
I mean, he's got more fucking DNA than like a one-week-old fetus, and most of the Catholic Church thinks that's an actual human being, so why can't he be an actual human being, let alone the direct voice of God? Fair enough. The net. If the baby pope is infallible, and then the baby pope poops in a diaper, it's only logical that all Catholics have to poop in diapers now. How do you think that will affect the church? It's why you sit down for most of church, right? <laughs> the holy shit. The holy shit. Oh my god. Oh my god. That's that guy though. I'm yeah, well, too proud of it. You took the ju- you had the judgment to like take it and run with it. If yeah. I run with it I mean repeat it verbatim, but still. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Mason, I got to ask you. How is the RoboPope going to handle the logical paradox of believing in an omniscient being responsible for all things, uh, despite that, that being left literally no evidence of itself? How is it going to handle that paradox? <laughs> I mean, take your time. <laughs> I mean, it, RoboPope. <laughs> RoboPope, you know, uh, he's he's the direct voice of God. You know, he knows him. He's a pretty good guy, God. He's a pretty good guy. Uh, good guy, good guy. He likes him a lot. Uh, it's a it's a vice versa thing. You know, he's pretty good God. Pretty God, uh, pretty good God uh, between RoboPope and God. I think I answered your question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my all doubt is gone from my mind. There we go. Jeanette, I gotta, I gotta ask you about Pope stuff, about babies. Pope can't eat solid food, he's a baby. Can't drink alcohol, he's a baby. That means the baby Pope can't take communion in church, a thing a Pope has to do. What's the workaround? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> He can breathe. He has nostrils. They're baby (laughs) nostrils, but he'll just inhale him. The the spirit will waft. Yes, he will inhale the Holy Spirit. But in a very dignified way. Explain dignified. Like a line of coke. Like a very dignified. Babies aren't known for taking cocaine. Not Catholic babies. There you go. There you go. Mason, if I'm watching HBO and I want to watch a show about robots, Westworld has boobies and peepees all over. Clearly, that's the choice I would make. What what does RoboPope bring to the table to top this? Have you fucking read the Bible? Is there any book with more perverse, terrible sex and violence than the Bible? And the RoboPope will live up to that and more. Old Testament, New Testament, that's the top and bottom of life, you know? That is, the, uh, that is everything we strive for at HBO, isn't it? Uh, and I'd also like to say, not going to get any of that from uh, Baby Pope. I saw the pilot. Terrible, terrible, terrible baby. Terrible baby. Mason hey, hey, don't, don't attack. CBS. Mason works for CBS, not HBO. Acronyms are confusing. Yeah. I confuse them. 
Jeanette, I have another question for you. <clears throat> the Baby Pope show, it's obviously, I mean, like, we, we, I don't even need to say it. It's so obvious, but I'm going to. It's going to feature scenes where the Baby Pope is left unattended in his, like, playpen, but he escapes. And we see a hilarious scene of hijinks through the whimsical lens of a baby's mind. But in Vatican City as the Pope. So, so what kind, just give us an example of what kind of hijinks these might be. Did you ever see Baby's Day Out? Uh, no. Describe it for me. <laughs> it is delightful. Uh, Joe Montaigne is in it, I think. Um, and this baby, like, gets away from, like, Laura Flynn Boyle, I think. Um, who is in Twin Peaks? Who doesn't love Twin Peaks? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. It's not going to be on HBO. It's going to be on Showtime. But in any case. Um, so, yes, the baby pope will do stuff like maybe go to Starbucks, but he'll, like, because he's, you know, like, divine, he will buy a cup of coffee before using the Wi-Fi. Whoa! <laughs> Just like a totally decent human being, That's except not a human being because he's the pope. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh. I'm saying, like, a, like a decent person would pay for a cup of coffee before using Wi-Fi. I'm sorry. No, no, no I, I was asking, were you insinuating the Pope is not human? Or was that, was that not, just a Not entirely. <laughs> is it you haven't been Wait. watching the young Pope, I can tell. No, I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't been watching the young Pope. He grows, he grows up to be something not entirely human, I think. Because it's Jude Law. Because it's Jude Law. Oh, he's like sort of ephemeral just because yeah. of his beautiful face. Yes. Okay, cool. I gotcha. <laughs> Mason, one question for you and then we get into the final questions. Uh, yeah. Will the RoboPope shoot anyone's dick off like RoboCop does? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. That's the answer I wanted to hear. And I hope everyone here is ready to enjoy it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, uh, usually I ask one question that I want both of you to answer. I'm going to ask you three, because this is a, I love this topic. So I want both of you to answer this one. A lot of comedy folks uh, have shared memes about the young pope in which they take song lyrics and change them to be about the young pope. Uh, can you share some lyrics about your pope? And if you don't have any prepared, how did you not see this question coming? <laughs> Detroit, New Detroit, it's not all that bad because there's a new guy here to defend it and he's really rad. It's Robo Pope, he's come to save. He's going to put the bad guys in their grave. Also, he's better than Robo Pup. <laughs> baby, baby. How was I supposed to know that you wanted to be Pope? <laughs> baby, baby, I shouldn't have let you go to that Pentecostal church that one time. Okay, I'm going to ask both of you this, but I'm going to do it one at a time because of reasons that will become clear. Mason. A thing that's on everyone's mind when they watch the young pope is, does the young pope fuck? 
Does the robo-pope fuck? Uh, there are attachments. <laughs> That's plural. Oh, wow. Uh, Dunette, I, I hate having to ask you this. I, the answer better be what I think it is. Does the baby pope fuck? The authorities are on their way. <laughs> the police have been alerted. That, that's close enough to what I was thinking you would say, which would be n no. I feel like it, it all comes together. Oh, and for both of you, uh, just to bring the mood way down, isn't it strange that both of your uh, whimsical make em up popes are somehow less out there than a woman pope? I'd like to point out that my baby pope is a baby girl pope. So. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it for the question and answer segment. Fantastic performance by both our debaters. It's, uh, it's closing statement time. Who wants to who wants to lead with their closing statements? It's, it's gonna be Mason. It's Mason. It's happening. <laughs> Robo Pope loves babies. <laughs> loves them. No cyborg has ever cherished the lives of our young ones more than Robo-Pope. <laughs> but audience, there's one baby he cannot stand. <laughs> I will not utter this baby's name, but you're well acquainted with this baby. This baby was born into riches, yet cries day and night. This baby talks gibberish, yet speaks to the hearts of millions in America. This baby has a fucking Twitter account. <laughs> And no one can seem to pry it from his hands. <clears throat> um, can we be sure this baby isn't the baby pope? Can we be certain? Audience, who is the baby pope? What is the baby pope? <laughs> And it is said that one out of every three cigar-smoking cartoon babies are actually adult men in bonnets. Yes, the baby pope is actually an adult man in a bonnet is a sentence someone might say were they to prove that the baby pope is not actually a baby. <laughs> Audience, is it possible that the baby pope is unnaturally orange? I honestly couldn't tell you. All I know is that RoboPope is the answer to our prayers. RoboPope stands for gun control. There is one gun and he controls it. Yeah. RoboPope stands for shooting corrupt corporate executives out of high right windows. Yeah. Robopope says yes to accepting refugees. Robopope says yes to macrame because though he may not longer be capable of being nervous, macrame is still quite calming. 
Robo Pope says no to showering for obvious reasons. And Robo Pope says no to walls except Pink Floyd's The Wall, because if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. Audience. I'm just going to make eye contact to this. This is the most important moment of the night. When America is attacked by a pussy-grabbing thug in a dark alley alleyway, RoboPope will be there, and RoboPope will shoot his dick off. Yeah. I do solemnly swear that RoboPope will shoot dicks off. <laughs> I say shoot, you say dick. Shoot, dick. shoot, dick. shoot, dick. dick. Mic drop, but not really. <laughs> Am I debating against RoboPope? Robo Pep, or what was the other one? Robo Pop. That was Pop, Pep, and something else. I don't pop. remember. Pop, pop Robo Pop. Like, yeah, it's like is it like, like right? <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> the pontiff in the making of a bowel movement has risen, not unlike a certain bearded individual who had to save all of our asses before. And she was a little cranky, and then hungry. But we've changed her diaper, given her a bottle, and she is now ready to take her place as the leader of the Catholic Church. She'll need a booster seat or one of those convertible car seats to place upon the papal throne, but that's not a big deal. Such extra measures are surely worth it when you consider just how pure and perfect she is. Indeed, the baby pope is free of scandal, something that's hard to come by in the church these days, am I right? <laughs> you clerics know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but that is far from her only qualification. The baby pope is devoted to God, whose voice she hears in every lullaby and yo gabba gabba sing-along. <laughs> She found her calling at conception and became a cardinal in utero. That was admittedly one weird ultrasound. <laughs> the baby pope cares not for politics and isn't concerned with societal pressures. She's only worried about saving our immortal souls and finding out who's got her nose. <laughs> <laughs> oh. My friends, I tell you again, what I am proposing is truly our only hope for salvation. Join me in following the baby pope. Whatever she lacks in experience or comprehension of scripture, or really any shapes, sounds, or letters, she makes up for in commitment. You will never find any other being so intent on anything as she is in removing those mittens that we only put on her to prevent her from scratching her face with those sharp baby fingernails. <laughs> Most importantly, the baby pope believes in God completely because she's a baby and doesn't know any better. <laughs> and really, isn't that all we need from a pope? Thank you. <laughs> 
Oh, you're both gonna come up here. It's time to determine the winner. And what what do you win when you're at the skewer? Why, magic trick, it's it's the skewer. Yeah, you're not competing for nothing. You're competing for a prize that's worth fractions of a penny and is useless, unless you want to cook with it. I mean, you can put like, yeah, you can put stuff on it and like grill it. I mean, it was in my sleeve, but the grill will, you know how it goes. So the way it's going to work is I'm going to ask uh, one lucky person in the audience to be an impartial judge who will determine who gets the louder applause. You, sir, I've never met before and who is not my brother, Mark. <laughs> would you like to be the impartial judge? Yes, I would love to. Beautiful. <laughs> Whomsoever believes that the winner of the debate with RoboPope was Mason Johnson, please applaud now. Okay. Whomsoever believes that the winner of this debate with Baby Pope was Danette Chavez, please fly now. With RoboPop. <laughs> oh, yeah. If, who believes that the, the abstract concept of RoboPop, as debated for by no one, was the winner in this debate? <laughs> Disappointing elections recently. Okay, if you believe that robo votes for RoboPub should count as votes for Baby Pope, please clap now. If you believe that votes for RoboPub are votes for RoboPub alone, clap now. Dogs don't have souls. Oh, you're right. Two robots. I'm sorry, I'm being fair. <laughs> Our impartial judge. Who was the winner? And if you want to disqualify RoboPup, I'll leave that up to you. No, no, RoboPup won. Okay, no winners? <laughs> Congratulations to both of you for losing to RoboPup. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, yeah. Thank you both so much. I say you're both winners. Yay! If you want me to give you both a skewer that I bought for 80 cents. I agree. Yeah. Uh, Another, oh, say thank you, Danette. You clearly were the better. I did want to plug myself once. If you guys want to go to a reading at a sex shop, I'm hosting one tomorrow night at Taboo Taboo. Nice. Go onto the internet and look for it. Yeah. I mean, to that, it's only fair if you have anything to plug. He just took it without asking. <laughs> I'm having dinner with my sisters on Friday, so pray for me. Oh. Can we come? Okay, yo, yo the show's, you're done. Thank you. <laughs> Coming to the skewer. It was a great one. 
you may have noticed coming in that there is a donation bucket. Uh, if you have any cash that you would like to donate, uh, please feel free to put it in there. If you don't have any cash or can't afford it, that's fine too. But all cash goes to pay our writers because shows that don't pay their writers should be illegal. So why would you go to one? Go to this one where we pay. Also, Erica, I think you have something to say. Yeah, if you want to sign up for our hot as hell email list, I give excellent email. Who here's on my email list? <laughs> Super dope. You can go ahead and sign up. We've also got some hot as hell merch. We've got yeah. some buttons that say the skewer. We've got some cool-ass stickers. Those are $1 each. Only a dollar. Yeah. They're both, they're both cool-ass stickers and cool stickers you can put on your ass if you have to. Exactly. So come by and stop by and say hello. Thanks, everybody. Yay. Oh, also, also we're recording this, and it's going to be a podcast. If you want to listen to it, it's on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher and all the places the podcast would be. Thank you. We're done. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can uh, like us on Facebook at uh, The Skewer Chicago. You can follow us on SoundCloud. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, leave us a review there, and we would totally love that. Uh, and you can come to a live show. It's the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago at 8 p.m. It's a great time, and uh, we would love to see you there. If you want to get in touch... Uh, you can email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Goodbye.